This is the 4th of July weekend. We are so blessed, blessed to live in this nation, aren't we? That we can come together here freely, not afraid of, um, you know, not, not in fear of our lives or whatnot. We're incredibly blessed. And I know this nation's got some pretty serious issues, and we pray about those things all the time. God isn't finished yet, right? He established the foundations of this nation, really of every nation, according to his word, right? And he's not finished. Um, but this morning, we're going to be continuing our own prayer, prayer, our own journey through prayer, covering the topic of prayer. Prayer is so simple, so simple. It's just communicating with God. You know, um, we got the talking to God part down, right? We tell God all about all of our wants and needs and desires and everything that's heavy on our heart. And God wants us to do that. Absolutely to do that you know but how good is a father who listens to all of the laments and needs and, and heart desires of his children and then just walks away and blows them off that's not a good father is it no god wants to respond to us that's also a part of prayer is listening to god seeking after god because he wants to respond to us he wants to talk communication with god that's prayer um god hears us when we pray amen he hears us when we pray. Even if our prayers are just in our hearts or in our minds, God hears those prayers. And we see that in 1 Samuel with Hannah, right? It says that Hannah was, was so distressed and she was praying, but no verbal, she was moving her lips, but no sound was coming out. But yet God heard her prayer. Now the pastor thought she was drunk, you know. I mean, that's a whole other story. You know, the priest, technically. Um, but uh, a whole other story. But anyways, but God heard that prayer. The cry of her heart. God hears every single one of them. God hears us when we pray alone, right? Um, we find uh, evidence of this. In fact, Jesus encourages us to do this. We see that Jesus often went off to pray by himself. Very frequently. And he taught us to do it here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't you guys know there's hypocrites out in the world? <laughs> Ever meet any? Ever been the one? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes, right? <laughs> Don't be like the hypocrites. Jesus said they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, out on the street corners, all to be seen by others. Very truly, I tell you, they already received their reward in full. But you, you know what we say about butts, right? Butts are big in the Bible. That's right. But, pay attention to them. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on and on and on like the pagans. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Because your father, he already knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, there's something important to notice here. Because we often get this wrong. In fact, I, I've actually been criticized pretty harshly from time to time um, for having like public prayer. What Jesus is teaching here, what he's calling hypocritical, is not praying out loud and praying together. That's not what he was calling hypocritical. What he was calling hypocritical was the motive for why they were praying. Those people were praying in public and out loud with the motive of being seen by others. Right? That's what was hypocritical. They weren't seeking God in prayer. They were seeking the, the others. They wanted to look good, right? That whitewashed tomb. That, that, that was the Tom Sawyer. They had their, their brush out and they're, you know, looking good out praying their prayers for everyone to hear. That's what was hypocritical. 
their motive. It was self-seeking, it was prideful, it was arrogant, boastful, just putting on a show for everyone else to see. That's what was hypocritical. There are absolutely times when we must pray alone. You know, get in your war room. If you've never seen that movie, it's a pretty good one. You know, you get in your war room in your prayer closet, and man, you, you, you get into the heavenly realms, and, and the battle is on. But there are also times um, when we come together for unified corporate prayer. There's something powerful when God's people come together in agreement. Something powerful about that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that that's where God's blessing rests. When his people come together in unity. That doesn't mean that we agree on every single subject or matter. But we come together for the one thing that does matter, right? Remember Mary and Martha? Jesus said, you're worried about all kinds of things. But indeed, only one thing matters, right? Just sitting at his feet. When we come together in Jesus' name, putting our differences aside, and just unifying in salvation that's found in his name alone, that's powerful. Powerful. We see this happening on the day of Pentecost, right? We just celebrated that a few weeks ago. The day of Pentecost. They, they, it, was, it was just 120 people. Not a very big, you know, group of believers, but they were together praying and seeking after God day and night. And man, did God respond in a powerful way, right? He poured out his Holy Spirit um, to, onto all those who were gathered in the upper room praying together. We see this happen when Peter was in prison for sharing his faith, right? And what happened? The church got together in Mary's house. And they're praying and they're praying. And man, does God respond. Bust him free right out of jail. The angel like knocks him on the side and says, come on, get up, let's go. And he takes him on out in the streets. Peter was so blown away, he thought it was a dream until he realized this thing really happened, you know. And, and remember, the church, they're praying for it. But even when Peter came knocking on the door, like, you're crazy, woman. That's it. Literally, that's what they said. You know, but no, he was, that was him. I love it. There's, God responds when we come together in prayer. In fact, one of my favorite accounts was shortly after um, Peter and John. This is the day Pentecost happened. Then Peter and John, they're walking to the synagogues, you know, essentially going to church. Um, and they pass this man that sits by the gate called Beautiful. Every stinking day he's there. And he's got one option for his living to make ends meet. And that's just to beg. You know, because he was lame from birth. Couldn't work, couldn't do anything. And there was no assistance, you know, program um, in either Rome or Israel at the time. So he had to beg. That was it. Rely on the uh, generosity of others. And, um, <laughs> and maybe some of you can relate to Peter and John. In fact, we're going to talk about all the ways that we probably can. But they're like, I'm broke. I got no cash. I, I don't have anything, but what I do have, I'll give you. Get up and walk, right? And he got up. And he started leaping and rejoicing and praising God. You've got more than you realize. Even if you've got nothing in the world's eyes, you are rich. You've got the kingdom of God, the resources of heaven at your disposal. You're a child of God. You're, you're princes and princesses in his kingdom. You know that? You've been adopted into his family, this royal family. I love it. Man, sometimes we, we just sell ourselves short. We don't realize what we got. But what you've got, what are we supposed to do with it? Freely give it away. Give it away to others, right? I love it. So, so everyone saw this guy jumping around dancing and everything, and they, they knew him. You know, they knew he'd been lame from birth, and they're just, they were just in awe and wonder. And they're, what is this sign? What is this all about? Um, and uh, the, the religious people of the day, they were kind of threatened by this whole Jesus movement. And so... They decided they needed to put a stop to this. They were tired of hearing that name, Jesus. I mean, didn't they already crucify him? 
But they just keep hearing about this guy. Like, people won't relent. They won't give it up. In fact, I love when the, when the um, uh, was it the, I think it was the Sanhedrin in this time, they came together, and one of the chief priests um, gave them this counsel. They're like, you know, we've seen this happen before. This guy came in, you know, he died, and all the people fell away. This guy came in, and then all the people fell away. You know, they're like, if, if this is just another one of those cases, then just whatever. It's going to go away on its own. But if this is from God... You're only going to find yourselves fighting against him. You will never stop this. And man, they never could, could they? Here we are thousands of years later, still you know, flowing in this move of the Spirit, this worldwide ministry. We're a part of it. I love it. So they, 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 they brought Peter and John in. And this is what they said. And I'm sorry, it's a cartoon, but this is so cool. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, who... We're talking about boldness this morning, by the way. You look at boldness. These people, they, anyways, you know what they just did and what they're planning on doing. Peter filled the Holy Spirit. He said, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness that was shown to a man who was lame, and we're being asked how he was healed, then you need to know this. You and all the people of Israel, it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you crucified. But God raised him from the dead. It was in his name that this man stands before you today. Woo. Then he went on. He started quoting the scriptures back to them. Jesus, he was the stone that you builders rejected. But he has now become the cornerstone. Woo, yeah. In fact, he went on, he said in verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given on earth by which men may be saved. This is some good preaching, isn't it? Right? Yeah. I'm glad I get to share it because it makes me sound yeah. like a good... <laughs> and I love this. You might be able to relate to this. I, I know I can. In verse 13 it says, They saw the courage of Peter and John. And they, they were talking to each other and they realized these are untrained, ordinary, unschooled men. <laughs> yeah. They ain't the sharpest tools in the shed, right? <laughs> They're just not. But, you know, they, they took note of one thing. And it says this in verse 12. These guys have been with Jesus. <laughs> oh, when people see our lives, do they see that? This is an idiot, but he's been with Jesus. Do they see Jesus in your life and through your life? Do they see it? Woo, yes, right? They were courageous. But here's the deal in verse 14, it said, but they could see the man who had been healed. He was standing right there with them. They, they, they realized there was nothing they could say. There's nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. Then they all conferred together. They're like, what are we going to do with these guys? Everyone here knows that they performed a sign, and we can't deny it either. But we got to stop this thing from spreading any further. So we'll just warn them not to mention this name. So they called them together, they commanded them, and the guys are like, you know what, what's right? Following God or following man? When the two come in conflict, who's going to win every time? God, right? I'm going to follow God. And so they're like, what, what the heck can we do? They, they flogged them, they let them go, they told them never to talk, speak in the name of Jesus again. And so what do you think the church did after this happened? This ain't fair! We're getting mistreated! Our governing officials hate us. They want to silence us. God, they're a bunch of big bullies. What, is that what they did? 
No, they got together and they prayed. And you know what they prayed? Give us boldness. Give us courage. Right? It says they raised their voices together. They raised their voices. They opened their mouths. Why are Christians so quiet? Open your mouth. And they gave praise to God. And they're praying, and they're praying, and they start quoting the scriptures. They said that this is what the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of your servant David. Why do the nations rage? Why do people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers, they all band together against the Lord and against the, the anointed one. And you know what Psalm 2 goes on to say that they're quoting? But he laughs from the heavens. They plot, they, uh, whatever, he laughs. And they go on and they, they acknowledge that all of these people are doing what God had decided would happen beforehand. So now, Lord, in verse 29, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak. Now, was this just the apostles? No, the whole church, everyone serving Jesus. Enable your servants to speak your word boldly. Just, Lord, we're praying in verse 30 to stretch out your hand. You heal. You perform signs. You perform wonders. All through the name of Jesus. And look in verse 31 how God responded. They're praying. They're praying together. And they're not praying these puny victim prayers. They're praying some victor prayers, aren't they? Give us boldness. Equip us. Enable us. And we can't do it, but you, Lord, you heal in your name. You do signs. You do wonders. You do miracles. Stretch out your hand and do these things. And how did God respond to verse 31? The place they met were shaken. He shook the place where they were. He's like, yes! You're doing. Like, can you imagine when you grab up your child and you're so proud of them and you're just shaking them because you're just so proud of what they're doing. And he filled them again with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Woo! So for all of you believers that there's just one infilling and that's all you get, you get that deposit of the Holy Spirit and you should be happy and content with that. The rest of your life. No, <laughs> I've never met anyone who's happy to see their bank account sit with the initial $25 deposit, right? No, we want to see that account full, right? Full to overflowing. It's no different with the spirit. Whew. You put your faith in Jesus. Yes, you got the initial deposit. You got the Holy Spirit. Don't let the enemy make you believe anything else. But there is room for more. And these people had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what God did? He filled them again. Woo! Fill us, Father. Fill us. Fill us to overflowing with your Spirit. The church raised their voices in prayer together. Asking God to enable them to speak his word with boldness. The church raised their voices together in prayer. Asking God to heal and to perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. I love it. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. You know, they could have. They didn't ask for God to protect them. They, they were abandoned to self. They were reckless. They were a freed people. They knew that none of this was about them. They knew it wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. That's who the nations were raging against. That's who the people were plotting against. That's who the kings and rulers were rising up against. It wasn't about them, it was about Jesus who they were representing, right? So in fact, Jesus reminded them of this in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. He reminded the disciples, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, him, uh, yeah, whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me, the Father. 
This is what Jesus said when he sent out the 72 disciples out ahead of him, where he was going from town to town to town. It's not about you. When you share the good news about Jesus, when you share the good news of his word, if they reject it, it's not you. Don't take it personally. I mean, man, does it hurt and it stings and it burns. And I get it. But don't take it personally. It's not you they're rejecting. It's who you represent. And you know what, the, what happened whenever the government was confiscating their property and, and beating them and imprisoning them and putting them to death? They came back together and they prayed and they rejoiced that they could suffer in his name. They rejoiced because they knew it was all about Jesus. And the suffering they were enduring, well, pff, Jesus went through far worse for us, right? People are either... They're not either accepting or rejecting you. It's all about Jesus. But how did the church respond? They, they, they prayed. They prayed for boldness in the face of danger. They prayed for more healings. They prayed for more signs and wonders. They prayed that the name of Jesus would be made known. Nothing emboldens us more than knowing that we're right before the Lord. Right living will embolden you and set you free. You don't have to worry about what you say when all you ever speak is the truth. You don't have to try to remember, okay, what did I tell this person? And what did I tell that person? What did I tell this person to, to keep this lie going, you know? Whenever you see your significant other or your spouse with your phone, you don't have to worry about what they're going to find because there's nothing hidden. When you just live rightly before the Lord, there is such freedom. There's a release. You don't have to watch over your back wondering who's going to find out about this, that, or the other thing. Even though, I love it, in Christ, even if you've screwed up in the past, that's gone. That's the old person. That person's been crucified, right? You don't have to watch over your shoulder anymore. You're a freed person. There is nothing that emboldens a person more than that. Living rightly and holy before the Lord. Whew. In fact, I love what Proverbs 28.1 says here in New King James Version. The wicked flee when no one pursues, right? You know people like that? They're just... They're just Skid, skid, uh, what's the word for it? Skittish, you know? They're always afraid. They're always thinking someone's out to get them. They're always afraid of what people are going to find. But the righteous, they're bold as a lion. You got nothing on me, right? And I have a feeling there's some people that's been taken from this to this this morning, right? You got nothing to fear. You're bold as a lion. Because the lion of Judah is within you, right? Yeah, when God delivered Israel from their Egyptian bondage, it says this, the children of Israel went out with boldness. With boldness they went out because they had been set free from their Lord. <laughs> and we all know how that story went, right? They tried to kill them, right? He, Pharaoh had some regrets and tried to take them down, but they were in the Lord's hands. When you trust in the Lord, even when you're between that rock and hard place and drowning in an army, you know you're good. What did God say whenever they're praying? What are you whining for? Move on, right? And they crossed the Red Sea. Oh, I love it. And then you got this guy, Saul, who we know as Paul in the New Testament. Yeah, not King Saul, New Testament Saul. That, that dude, right, the road to Damascus guy, renamed to Paul. He passionately tried to stop the church from sharing about Jesus. He approved of the first martyring of Stephen. In fact, he was standing there when he was put to death. And he approved of that. He was passionate for who he thought was the one true living God. But he was trying to put a stop 
to the church speaking in the name of Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, that same one that just brought Peter and John before them. Then he met Jesus. <laughs> Don't we all have that, that, that story, right? Then we met Jesus. Then Jesus got a hold of us and something changed. And it was this boldness, this whole different boldness that filled his life from that point forward. And we read about it over and over and over and over again. After he had that encounter with Jesus, he was bold. He was emboldened. Acts 9.28, so Saul stayed with them, and that was the new believers who were a little skeptical, a little scared to death of the guy. Was this conversion for real? You know, anybody have family members that did that? They say they're saved, and you're like, eh, are you though? <laughs> I swear I'm clean. Are you though? <laughs> but when it happens, it happens, right? The evidence will prove you right. So Saul, he stayed with the believers and he moved freely in Jerusalem once they, it took some time, but they gave him a chance and he proved himself to be a true follower of Jesus. And it says that he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts 13, 46. Paul and Barnabas answered boldly. We have to speak the word of the God. You rejected it. You don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. So now we're going to turn to the Gentiles. Um, which is a cool story on its own. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable amount of time speaking boldly for the Lord. Who confirmed their message with signs and wonders. Acts chapter 18, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited them into their home. And he explained to them the way of God more adequately. Acts 19, 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without any hindrance. Whew gonna be celebrating you know independence day here there is freedom like no other in christ actually uh, i'll just end here you know romans 15 15 he said yet i have written to you very boldly on some points and then finally and this is us today right second corinthians 3 12 therefore since we have such hope since we have this hope we are bold we're very bold Regardless of what your personality type might be, whether you're an introvert or extrovert or whatever other personality quiz you want to take, you know, doesn't matter where on the spectrum you fall. When you give your life over to the Lord, you are emboldened. It may manifest itself differently, but you can't be moved. You can't be shaken, right? When, when you try to be persuaded otherwise, there's a boldness that rises up when it comes to the things of the Lord. You become his defender. You know, you don't talk about my father that way. There's a boldness that rises up. And when you realize that Satan's got a hold of these people out there in the world and some of the crazy things they believe, it rises up a boldness in you, doesn't it? This isn't right. Hmm. But it's not a boldness of our own. It is a gift of God. It originates from God, this boldness. That boldness that God gave to Jesus to take on the cross. He didn't want to, but he had this spiritual boldness that enabled him to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Don't we need that gift to keep our mouth shut in front of our accusers? We are so quick to defend ourselves and to prove ourselves right. Let God be the judge. Let him prove you right. There's some wisdom in this, right? I'm a talker, so I know I need that gift of 
quietness every now and then. It's like just, I don't have Becky here this morning, but she's the one that's usually like, uh, it's, it's, it's time to move on now, quiet down. It's not a boldness of our own. It originates from God. And that's why you know, I'm going to continue in this um, chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, such confidence we have through Christ. Not that we're competent ourselves, not that we claim anything at all for ourselves, but it's a competence that comes from God. And in verse 6 it says, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter of the, that brought death, but the letter of the Spirit that gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, if it came with glory, and you can read your Old Testament here, you know, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments and came back down off the mountain, um, you know, to, to get the full context here. But if that, that law that brought death, that condemned us all guilty of sin, if it came with glory, in fact, he said so much in verse 7 that the Israelites couldn't look steadily into the face of Moses because of the glory that radiated from his face. Even though it was transitory, it faded. Will not the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious had no glory. Right now, in comparison with this all-surpassing glory. If what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that comes and lasts? Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We're, we're, we're not bold in ourselves and in what we can do, in our competence. We are bold because of Jesus Christ, right? We are bold because of the Spirit living within us, who equips us and enables us to be bold, and Paul said here that it is because of hope that we're bold. It's not because you already achieved it. It's not because you already obtained it. It's not because you've already received it. It's because of hope that gives you boldness. You see, hope is a double-edged sword. It can do one of two things. It can either discourage and deflate you. You know, we, we, we talk here as brothers and sisters in Christ about some of the things we're going through. Some of the situations that just seem hopeless. We keep warring and declaring and things seem to be going from bad to worse instead of from glory to glory, right? We have those things in our life, but we're not bold and we don't boldly proclaim healing and deliverance and life and abundance over those things because they've already received them. We declare them because of the hope that we have, a living hope in Christ Jesus, right? In fact, Hebrews chapter 6 verse uh, 13 to 20 declares this. That when God made his promise to Abraham, there was no one greater for him to swear by, so he swore by himself. And after waiting patiently, Abraham received the promise. Every one of, promises, every one of God's promises, yes and amen. But in Sarah and Abraham's case, God waited until it was impossible for them to do it on their own. Impossible, way beyond childbearing years. He waited until it was impossible so that what? He would get the glory. Only the Lord could have done that. Ain't no way, Abraham, that good, right? You know, no way. He got the glory. Hope, it anchors our soul's focus toward heaven. It goes straight into the throne room of Christ, right? Right into the heavenly uh, places, the holy of holies, the throne room of God. That's what changes us and gives us boldness. This hope 
that anchors us. It's like, it's like a rope that goes in into the heavenly places so that we're here on the earth and yet we're also seated in heavenly places. We're like the, uh, the, the first hybrids, you know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 18, talks about this. We are not like Moses. And again, Paul's continuing on the same thread. We're not like Moses. He'd put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Their minds were made dull. And to this very day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It hasn't been removed because it is only Christ who can take that veil away. Remember what happened on that third day. Not the third day. No, 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 no. Remember what happened while he was on the cross. When he had said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he willingly chose to give his life. The veil was torn. The veil's taken away. There's now nothing that separates you from the glory of God. You can go boldly before the throne room of Christ. And not worry about being killed because of your sin. You're free. You're innocent before Christ. In fact, he goes on, he says in verse 16, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. There's nothing that separates us anymore. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Woo. Freedom. And we, all of us, with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. And all of this comes from the Spirit of the Lord. It all comes from him. There is a freedom, a freedom. I love the national freedom that we have in this great place. Love the U.S. of A., even with all of its issues. Still love to, that we live here, especially when you, when you start learning about the persecuted church that right now, as we're meeting together, what they are suffering and enduring all in the name of Jesus. It makes me feel like a sissy for complaining about some of the things I complain about, huh? we got nothing compared to what the persecuted church is going through, all for the name of Jesus. But there is a freedom that we have in the Spirit of the Lord that no matter what our earthly circumstances are, we're free. And no one can take it away. All the fruits of the Spirit, no law can ever be legislated against them. doesn't matter if they outright make Christianity illegal. No one can stop you from loving and being kind and generous and patient. And that's why we have the fruits of the Spirit. No one can stop it. So neither, neither, you know? No one can stop it. I've read so many testimonies of people being tortured. And yet they just kept saying, I forgive you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And it just drove their captors crazy that they couldn't stop people from rejoicing, no matter how horrific their circumstances. That's the kind of freedom that the Spirit of the Lord brings. A freedom that nothing can steal away. And so we can be bold. We can be who Christ calls us to be no matter what our circumstances are. When Paul spent years in a prison, he used that prison cell as an international ministry headquarter, overseeing several churches. He evangelized to his captors. He won many of them over. Many, many Romans came to know Christ as their Savior because Paul being in prison. He evangelized those guards. So let's learn from the example of the early church. Let's respond the way they responded to their difficulties and trials and persecutions. 
Because through them, daily, people were being saved. Thousands gave their life to Christ, even though it meant giving up their life, potentially. They didn't care. They didn't count the cost. There were be people being saved. There were continuously healings and signs and miracles. They were just commonplace through the church. So let's pray as they prayed. Let's pray for boldness. Boldness to proclaim his word even in the face of danger. Let's pray for more healings. That the Lord would stretch out his mighty hand and bring healing to people. That he would bring deliverance. That he would bring signs and wonders, whatever they look like. That above all we would live so that people would know Christ in and through us. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price. So honor God with our bodies. Amen. So let's just close with that prayer. So Jesus, forgive us for shying away. Forgive us for being quiet when you are calling us to live loudly. You're calling us to raise our voices in unity. Lord, bolden us, embolden us, Lord, to proclaim your word. Remind us that we don't have to be scholars and we don't have to have a formal education. We can be like Peter and John, common, untrained, ordinary people. As long as we stick with you. You're the vine, we're the branches. We're not competent on our own, but through you, we can do all things. Whew. Jesus, go ahead of us, performing signs, wonders, and miracles, bringing healings and deliverances, Lord, bringing the dead to life, not so that we can look like anything, but so that you can be made known that you are the one true living God, that there's only one name through which we can be saved, Jesus, that in the name of Jesus, signs, wonders, and miracles have become commonplace as they were in the early church. Oh, Lord, we're excited to be on this journey with you. Whew. Help us to abandon ourselves and to live like lions, boldly, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll go out there and enjoy this new life. It's a new day. Yeah. And take full advantage of the uh, freedom we got in this nation, right? Take full advantage of it, every opportunity. <laughs> awesome. Thank you.